0: I know a priest in a different state who early on in his priesthood many years ago, he was assigned to a parish where just a few blocks down the road, there was a store that sold like kind of like some witchcraft kind of stuff, like just kind of some, um, some demonic kind of material. And, um, and you know, um, there are different opinions about that, but he, of course, as a priest was... Um, not too excited to have this right down the road from his church. And um, as an as a, you know, energetic young priest, you know, he tried to figure out how can we get this this store closed? What can we do in order to make this um, happen? And um, you know, he kind of talked to different people, and they came up with different ideas. You know Maybe you can lobby to get the city involved. Maybe we can go outside and pray a rosary. Maybe we can protest, whatever we need to do. And they they tried to kind of come up with a plan, and uh, everything they tried to do just really didn't work. It just kind of fell apart, and and really just kind of caused more of a stir and and a lot of drama, and it really wasn't that helpful. But then finally, um, this priest just felt really convicted to kind of lean into um, the spiritual authority that he had as pastor of that parish, um, particularly through prayer. And what he started to do is just each day, he would um, kind of in the morning during his prayer time, he would just say a very simple uh, prayer, um, uh, just kind of binding the uh, spirits that the evil spirits that were in his territory. And he wasn't even really specific about that particular store or about a particular person or anything. He would just say a simple prayer, like in the name of Jesus Christ, I, I neutralize um, any evil spirits that is that are in my territory of this parish. And he was able to do that because he was pastor of that parish and the bishop gave him that spiritual authority. And so it was just very non-dramatic and very simple, but you know, he did it with great faith and great simplicity. And within a year, the store closed. Some may say it was a coincidence, but I like to think that it was not a coincidence, that instead that there is real power there in the simplicity and the humility of his prayer as pastor of that parish. There's a lot of um, interest these days in spiritual warfare. It seems to be a growing um, interest. Uh, more and more people are kind of intrigued by it. They're, they're kind of um, experimenting um, with some, some of the demonic or with the witchcraft or with um, tarot cards or uh, palm reading or uh, whatever. The, the list goes on and on. And um, as, the, as there's more and more interest and intrigue, uh, what's starting to happen is that more and more people are starting to realize that, oh, this is, this is real stuff. And then they start to get nervous and scared, and then they feel like they're too far deep and they don't know what to do once they get caught. And as more and more of this starts to happen, there's more and more conversation, and there's a lot of intrigue and interest in the exorcism ministries throughout the nation and throughout the world. And I get a lot of questions as a priest about this type of conversation and what do we do about it. We can certainly admit that it's real, but oftentimes we over-dramatize it, not to downplay it. By any means, but a lot of times we over it. You see, the enemy speaks with a lot of drama, the evil one has a lot of drama, a lot of noise. But the Lord often speaks very simply and very quietly. And we see that in today's gospel. Jesus is performing an exorcism right there at the beginning of the gospel of Mark, right there revealing his identity through this exorcism ministry. What happens is Jesus is starting to teach in the synagogue, and typically in the synagogue you have the scribes who are kind of teaching from the authority of the tradition of the Jewish people, the people of God, and the the scriptures that they have received. And they, um, they typically just share things that are not new. Um, the, the, the people of God and the the Jews, they, they really would have understood the scriptures well enough to notice whenever something was seemingly new and Jesus comes on the scene and he's starting to speak with a newness. He's starting to speak with in a way that's different than the other scribes. And they're starting to question that what's going on. And they say, how can, how can he speak with such authority? How is this possible? The authority that he speaks, they're, they're intrigued because it, it seems to have a level of authority that's higher than what they're used to. And then in comes a man possessed by a demon with much drama, much much uh, attention drawn to himself. And you can imagine like this was probably quite jolting, quite, quite um, surprising for many people for this just to suddenly happen in the middle of his preaching. And this man says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? And even starts to, to directly address Jesus, says, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God, which is very interesting, right? Because it's, we're at the beginning of the gospel. Most people have no idea who Jesus really is yet. They know that he's interesting, he's smart, he, he's intriguing, but they have no idea that he is God. Not, not yet, we're in Mark chapter 1. But this demon knows. He has this knowledge of recognizing Jesus in his divinity. And Jesus is not yet ready to reveal himself fully because he has to let this process unfold. He knows that once his identity is revealed totally, people are going to arrest him and kill him. And we know how that story goes at the end of the Gospels. So nonetheless, Jesus addresses the demon really quickly and says, Quiet, come out of him. Just non-dramatic, very simple, but with authority. Where does his authority come from? It comes from God, because Jesus is God. He has authority that he alone possesses. You see, sometimes we think of God and Satan as yin and yang, like these two like equals that are like constantly at battle, and we're just not quite sure who's going to win. But really, what we're talking about is creator and creature. It's like not even a comparison. Like Satan is a speck of dust in comparison to the God of the universe. God has so much authority over him. Now, to be fair, Satan is way more powerful than each and every one of us. So we must be careful. We are not to be Fascinated and intrigued by Satan and opening doors to let him into our life. But what we do know is that God has authority. God is above everything. He is creator. Everything else is creature. But I bring all this up because sometimes whenever we, we start to experience some level of spiritual attack, whether it's through the form of temptations or through the form of straight up like crazy stuff that's happening maybe in our house or in our life. Sometimes whenever we experience spiritual attack, we can become really frightened and really afraid and feel very hopeless and powerless and and maybe don't even know what we can do at that point. But you have spiritual authority by virtue of your baptism. If you have been baptized, you have the grace of the living God within you. If you have been baptized, you can claim that spiritual authority of Jesus Christ. And that is more powerful than any demonic creature that could ever attack you. What's interesting is that uh, the devil and the demons, they're legalists, they recognize proper authority. And they try to get us to, to forget or to, to step away from or to overthrow the structures that are in place. But they just can't help but recognize the proper authority of God and his bride, the church. And because you've been baptized, you can lean into. It. So I just want to um, equip you tonight um, with four uh, very simple things that you can do. As, as lay people, um, no matter what your state of life is, four simple things that you can do to set yourself free from any type of spiritual attack. Four things that you can do to enter more deeply into freedom and to experience more deeply God's healing love. So the four are to repent, to renounce, to forgive, and to receive. So I'll go through each of those. To repent. The first thing is to turn towards the Lord. All the time, all of us, we we're weak, we're fallen, we, we mess up, we sin, and we find ourselves with our back against the Lord. But the turning back to Him, the repentance, the constant habit of turning back to the Lord, there's freedom in that. The enemy wants to discourage us and And tell us that we might as well just stop repenting. It's just no use. But as we continue to repent, the enemy loses power over our life. The next is to renounce. We experience temptations all the time. Or if not temptations, we experience all kinds of emotional turmoil through anxiety and fear and worry And all of this can really become very heavy upon us. But we can renounce that. We can be set free of that. And there's power in the name of Jesus. A very simple thing you can say, just engage your will by simply saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce. And then say whatever it is. In the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce the spirit of anxiety. In the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce the fear in my soul. In the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce um, my worry of being rejected. And the list goes on and on. Whatever you're struggling with, you can renounce it, but make sure you renounce it in the name of Jesus because we don't lean into our own strength. We lean into the strength of the Lord. The third is to forgive. Uh, A lot of times um, in, in deliverance ministry, what we recognize is that there is often a barrier in someone's experience of freedom, an experience of recognizing the Lord's love, whenever they're holding a grudge, whenever they're holding on to unforgiveness. And that oftentimes is just enough to prevent the Lord from pouring forth healing into their soul. And, and so, so oftentimes, like, we'll just ask somebody, like, Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Is there a grudge that you're holding on to? This is a stronghold that keeps you bound. But the Lord wants to set you free. And as we forgive, we too are forgiven. So we repent, we renounce, and we forgive. And the most important is to receive. To receive the Lord's love for you. To receive the power of the Holy Spirit to receive the grace of the sacraments. That's where the power resides. There's nothing like confession, like the Holy Eucharist. Of course, I mentioned baptism before. Even the grace of vocation, of of, um, marriage, and the priesthood. Whatever sacraments you can receive as often as possible, lean into that grace Because if you are in a state of grace, the enemy cannot touch you. The enemy cannot stay in your soul. The enemy has no power over you. And there's nothing to fear. So in summary, God has supreme authority. Spiritual warfare is is real. It's usually not as dramatic as you think. The real authority is in Jesus Christ. And we can lean into the grace of our baptism as we repent, we renounce, we forgive, and we receive the grace of God. Amen.